Would you turn with me in God's Word? We're picking back up in John chapter 18. I'm going to assume after 12 weeks of me defining the church three times per sermon, we're all crystal clear on what the church is. So we're going to turn our attention back to John. And if you, if you like to read ahead, to which I encourage, we should finish John. I'm slated to finish John by the end of the year. Woo! Isn't that exciting? Uh, and then we'll go to the most riveting book, not Leviticus, Deuteronomy. So uh, we'll do that next year. Okay. Now, we're in John 18. And we're picking up the very beginning of Christ's sufferings. And the, the beginning of that suffering is a word that for many of us, unfortunately, it has been on our lips too much. It's a word we know too well. Betrayal. Betrayal. We invest our time, our trust, our very selves into someone, and they betray us. Does that hurt? You bet it does. Many of us here have been betrayed before. You have close friends who lie and gossip behind your back. You don't want to talk to them anymore, do you? Some of us may have had spouses that committed acts of infidelity. It's painful. You have business partners that become business problems. Or to me, the worst that we see really typified in our passage is when we feel betrayed by our church. I think that one cuts the deepest. How do we respond? How do we feel? Angry, ashamed, hurt, vengeful. I get it. But what is necessary for us to respond in a godly way? Let's pick that up in our sermon in a sentence. When crossed, take courage. When crossed, take courage courage. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll read this passage. Heavenly Father, as we enter into John's account of Christ's sufferings, I pray that you would open wide our heart to hear and to see and to know intimately all that our Savior has done for us. So, Father, pour out your Spirit and open our eyes to see our Savior and all that He has done for us and continues to do in us. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you're going to read to verse 14, hear the word of the Lord this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. 
And so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed them, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered them, I told you that I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Calpheus, who was high priest that year. It was Calpheus who advised the Jews that it would be more expedient that one man should die for the people. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word this morning. As we enter John 18, let us... It's been 14 weeks. Let me get us back up to speed. Jesus is fulfilling his priestly office. Priests do three things. They teach the people. They pray for the people. They sacrifice for the people. In John 13 through 16, Jesus taught his disciples. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples. John 18 and following... Jesus suffers. He sacrifices himself for his disciples. Now, Jesus' sufferings begin in a familiar place. And the familiarity makes the betrayal all that much worse. Now, it's familiar in two ways. In one... There was a garden, a garden of Eden, which prompted this entire ordeal. Where God walked with them, He provided them everything they could possibly want. And what did they do to God? Adam and Eve broke faith with God. They betrayed Him to His face. And they stood with Satan and his disciples. That's one garden. But as God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, this garden is familiar in another way. John says they went there often. Jesus knew this garden. Peter, James, and John were familiar with this garden. Judas was familiar with this garden. In this garden... When they would come to the great festive seasons, when everybody and their mama would descend upon Jerusalem, 
You know what it's hard to do? It's hard to take a break. So Jesus and his disciples would retire to this garden for rest and refreshment. He would invest his time into these men. He would trust these men and open his heart. He would pray and provide for them. Judas knows this place well. The familiarity makes the betrayal worse. Now on a full moon night, when they could clearly see, Judas enters that garden with his own company of disciples, with lamps and lanterns, with swords and clubs, to hunt Jesus like an animal. How does Jesus respond in this moment? How should we respond when we find ourselves in similar moments? We can sum it up in one word. Courage. In our passage, we see one great act of courage and the one act that completely lacks it. We need courage. When we are crossed, take courage. Now what is courage? We've always heard courage is not it. Courage is not the absence of fear. Instead, Aristotle says courage is when we fear, but we endure fear in the way that we ought. Courage is doing what is right when fear drives us to do the opposite. It's doing what is right when fear drives us the opposite way. Now, did Jesus have courage? He took courage when he knew his betrayal was coming. I love that verse 4 highlights Jesus knew exactly what was coming. Judas knew that garden by frequency. Jesus knew this betrayal by foreknowledge. He knew what he was there to do. He read it in the scriptures. He knew it from his father. He does what his father commands. We remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus immediately say afterwards? That he must suffer and he must die. He knew. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, One of you will betray me. One of you is a devil. Jesus knew exactly who it was. He knew the very man. He washed his very feet. He fixed his very plate at supper. Jesus knew Judas well. And he knew what Judas was going to do. That made it worse. We should not think that because Jesus knew what would happen, it would negate the fear. It's the old saying is, the fear of death is worse than death itself. 
Has anyone had to wait on a surgery? Or I think of Jessica's not here, waiting on having a baby. You spend nine months thinking about having a baby, that makes it worse. You spend months agonizing over upcoming surgery, the agony is horrible. You know how it's going to end. You know how it's going to play out. But that does not make the time before any easier. We see this in Jesus where in the book of Luke, he says, referring to all of his suffering, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my agony until it is accomplished. Every meal, every minute, every miracle that Jesus spent with Judas only twisted the knife deeper. And yet Jesus took courage. Jesus took that courage because he knew where this was all coming from. He says, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, we know this is a marked progression in Jesus' prayer line. Luke and Matthew record Jesus in the garden praying, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. And yet not my will, but your will. Jesus comes to this moment, and he knows the answer to this prayer, for Judas' hand delivers the cup to him. But notice what Jesus says. I shall drink. I shall humbly submit to my Father. I shall drink His cup. Not Judas's cup. Not anyone else's cup. He shall drink His Father's cup. In this moment, Jesus is able to look beyond the current situation and see His Father at work. His Father works all things according to the counsel of His will. Doesn't that include this betrayal? This cup? This cup, we know that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That before the foundation, before time began, the Father chose to save and the Son willingly agreed to do the saving. It's this cup. This cup has been sitting on the shelf a long time. And Jesus accepts this cup. Not from a God, a tyrant, a judge. He accepts it from His Father. That should knock our socks off this morning. Jesus knows all the suffering this cup will bring. And yet, he trusts his Father. Jesus does not trust his fear, but he trusts the revealed will of his Father. In the face of shame and suffering, he trusts. This is courage. How do we know he had courage? I love what John says. Judas didn't have to find Jesus. Jesus came forward. 
Jesus was not a fox to be hunted. He was a lamb to be slain. He came forward willingly. J.C. Ryle says that Jesus is more willing to be our Savior than we are to be saved. The guards are so shocked, they have to ask, Who are you? Jesus proves it. He says his name. The English translation says, I am he. Wrong. It should simply be, I am. His name. Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 3. He says, what is your name? I am who I am. He says his name. And for a moment, glory pulsates from him and stuns his attackers. They fall to the ground. He speaks his name. But he also protects his sheep. While he's being arrested, he petitions for the freedom, the release of his people. He is bound, but his focus is on their freedom. And yet, no matter what he says, no matter what he does, the betrayal continues, his courage mounts. And then we see this beautiful moment. Peter strikes Malchus, the servant of the man who will spit in the face of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He shows mercy. He displays what has been lost. Jesus is bound, but His compassion is not. This betrayal has reached its high water mark, and yet what we see is so does Jesus' courage. Must keep in mind, Jesus is fully man. The most natural thing to a man is a desire to preserve yourself. We see Jesus doing it all over the place. They throw rocks at Jesus, Jesus leaves. They try to crown Jesus king, Jesus leaves. He preserves himself from harm and honor all throughout. But in this moment, when his hour has come, he endures betrayal for his people, for the sons of Adam, who betrayed him way back when in that same garden. He endures betrayal for us. Each of us in this room have betrayed him at some point. As children, we receive good things that we did not buy, that we did not earn. We do not return thanks. When we grow older, it's written on our heart, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill. We know. We do it anyway. He has given us grain and wine in our seasons. Our hearts have abounded. And yet we spend our prime in all the things that flip our nose up at Him. We grow old. He mercifully preserves our life. And how do we use it? Psalm 109 says it best. They encircle me with words of hate. They attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me. They reward me evil for good with and hatred for my love. 
We have been faithless. And yet, He is betrayed for us. He is faithful to His promise. For the love of His Father and the salvation of His people, Jesus courageously enters this dart of suffering. That speaks to His courage. He displayed that courage for us. We love to give medals, Purple Hearts, and others to men who show such courage for their friends. But we have a God who shows courage for His foes. Do you know this God? Have you trusted Him? The world will betray you time and time again. If they betray Jesus who went around doing good always, how do you think the world will treat you? But this Jesus has been betrayed for you and he will not lose any of those given to him. Have you given yourself to Christ? Now that we've seen what Jesus has endured and how he responds to being betrayed, how do those who have given their life to Jesus, how are we to act when we're betrayed? What does courage look like for us? What does it look like when a friend breaks our trust? When a business partner is a problem? When our spouses have betrayed us? When our church is not being very friendly? Well, for one, it requires, courage requires trusting in God's providence. Let me be very clear. Jesus calls him a father. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, he is your father. But notice what kind of father he is. He is not a negligent father who wasn't paying attention. We read that he never sleeps nor slumbers. He's not a mean father. A verse I used in praying this morning, Deuteronomy 23, it says... He turns our curses into blessings because He loves us. When betrayal comes our way, we must look to the hand of our good Father. Matthew Henry notes that our Father gives us only a cup. It is given to us by a Father. One who has a Father's authority and affection. He does us no wrong, he means us no hurt. That when we are hurt, instead of responding with fear, with anger, with enmity, our first call is to look to our Father's hand and what He commands of us. When we're young, and our parents do things we don't like and we feel betrayed, it's easy to never pick up the phone again, isn't it? But a proper response is to look to God's hand and remember where he says, Thou must honor thy father and thy mother. When we are working and our boss betrays us so he doesn't get the blame, it's easy for us to go in the break room and do some dirty deeds. 
But it's better for us to look to our Father and say, You have told me to honor those above me. When our spouses betray us, it's easy. Divorce is an easy thing today, isn't it? But we have made a vow before the Lord our God. We look to His hand and what He has revealed. But two, courage requires trusting the Son's protection. Let me just say, when Jesus is in a time of peace, He prayed for His people. When Jesus was being betrayed, He protected His people from harm. When Jesus is on the cross gasping His last breath, He makes a point to protect His mother from poverty. Now that Jesus is in heaven in perfect peace, will He not continue to protect us? We are tempted to protect ourselves, aren't we? Peter displays that tendency. Peter displays a lack of courage. That metal sword was meant to hide his lack of a backbone. A few chapters earlier, Peter says, Lord, I would die for you. But when courage was required, courage required to obey Jesus' words, Peter did not have it. Now, we don't wield swords today, but we wield words. When betrayed, we build up our case by tearing down another. We feel the urge to defend our honor, to validate our actions, to justify our reasons, regardless of what damage and division may come. It is easy to run your mouth. It is easy to betray. But neither of those our courage. Instead, a more mature Peter writes this, To this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin. Deceit was not found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. Or I could say, when they were running their mouth, he kept his shut. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins on that tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness, that we may suffer well. You were strained, but you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, to the one who protects you. And he is still protecting you. Trust him. That may be not speaking when you really, really want to. Or it's 2023 using your thumbs. That may be removing yourself from a situation. That may be not avenging yourself, but trusting God who says, Vengeance is mine and I will repay. Whatever it may be, if it is obedient to Jesus Christ, it is Courage. Now I just want to close with a short story. We all know Corey Ten Boom. She was in Poland, I believe, and she was hiding Jews during World War II. She got caught. She got put in a concentration camp. She endured horrendous things. 
after the war in 1947, she's delivering a talk in Munich on the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, there shuffles a man to the front. He's wearing a gray coat. He's obviously older. She looks at him. She recognizes him. He was one of the men that would mock and ridicule all the women as they were showering. And he comes to her and he says, I really appreciate your talk. I was a guard at that camp you mentioned. I have since then become a Christian and God has forgiven me my sins. I want to know, will you forgive me? What does courage require in that moment? Corey Tim Boone did the most courageous thing possible. First, she prayed for help. Second, she put out her hand. And she shook his. And she forgave him. She could have said a lot of ugly things, couldn't she? She could have did a lot of ugly things, couldn't she? But she did not revile in return. She did not threaten. She forgave. She was courageous. We are called to be courageous. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we live in a day when words are so easy to get out. I feel very much like David in, in the Psalms where he says, Lord, put a bar of iron over my mouth. Lord, would you help us in all things to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and our God our Father. That we may suffer well and the world may see Jesus Christ who both strengthens us and suffered for us. That we may be a living testimony to his kindness towards us. Father, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.